welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valerie Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, we are in the first few days of June. Um, welcome to summer, and we are really excited to bring you what we think is a pretty interesting podcast today. But before we do dive into that, um, Valerie and I would just like to say that um, we are very aware of what's going on in our country right now um, with with riots and the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, um, the issues surrounding that. And we've been a little bit quiet on social media about it. We're, we're working on processing ourselves and figuring out, um, you know, where, where our thoughts lie and how we can be the best um, allies, I guess, that we can. And so we're we're um, not being silent because we don't have a stance. We do. We're just working on um, making sure that uh, it, it it's it represents agriculture. It rep- represents the communities that matter, um, and we care. Racism is real for us. It's happening in our communities. It's happening around the world. Um, but we need to learn a lot more about what's going on. So we don't want to just take make blanket statements and um, passes by with with no thought at all. So we're taking some time to process, reaching out to our resources, and developing platforms that we think will be beneficial. Very well said, Val. <laughs> um, and we will be, we are planning a few episodes around those topics in the coming weeks. Absolutely. So with that, um, we want to dive into um, this week's topic. Uh, COVID has is still happening a little bit, but it's kind of been put on the back burner um, as far as news goes. But it's really, I've noticed kind of in the ag markets, this roller coaster effect that's been happening since the beginning of 2020. And I, you know, stay, stay a little bit in the know, but stay a little bit out of the know as well. But we started 2020 as a, almost a record year and then COVID hit and prices dropped to a record um, low and we had Patrick Linnell with Cattle Facts on to kind of talk a little bit about that low but all of a sudden we've started seeing a spike again and we're we're concerned that it might be a false bubble or what's happening why are we jumping so high so quickly Um, and like even a dollar jump in a day is just shocking to us so we brought in some um, millennials to help us decipher what's going on. Uh, the first one is my brother, Cole Likely. He's a um, graduate of the University of Idaho in finance and ag marketing. Uh, he's a risk management consultant for INTL FC Stone and focuses predominantly in the livestock and dairy segment. Um, and then our second guest is Justin Chapman. He's originally from McCall, Idaho, um, and also a University of Idaho grad. I was told he took pretty much any and all finance classes he could and diversed himself in finance and ag business as well, and is now an oilseed merchandiser in the Northern Plains region. So both experts um, and have good diverse will hit livestock and dairy um, as well as the crop side of things as well. So with that, Cole, do you want to dive into your background a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for that intro, Valine. Um, glad Justin's here with, with me. We've been good friends, uh, went through the whole program at University of Idaho together, uh, kind of adventured, adventured both uh, with, with the ag side and the financial markets. 
Um, so it's, it's fun to, you know, continue these conversations after college and, and stay close friends uh, in these markets. But yeah, like Valiant said, uh, we're both, Valiant and I both were from here, uh, Southern Idaho, Jerome, Idaho. Um, I went up to school and, and like she said, I got my degrees in finance and ag business. Um, through the Barker trading program up there, I, I learned a uh, learned to have a, a, a huge interest in in the markets, uh, specifically the ag markets, um, cattle and dairy. Because one, cattle is my background, and dairy is you know the Idaho, the Idaho. Uh, it's really big in Idaho, um, and and so graduating from the University of Idaho, I, I was looking all over for a job, and I found one that I thought could help bring me back to uh, Southern Idaho at some point. So I took a job in Northeastern Nebraska for a small commodity brokerage company, um, traded some corn, soybeans, some cattle, uh, hogs, that kind of thing out there uh, before a uh, opportunity opened back up here in uh, close to the hometown here in Twin Falls with FC Stone. I'd interned for them before, so I had a previous relationship. And now coming on, um, uh, it's been an incredible experience working with dairymen, uh, processors, cattlemen, processors, you know, the whole supply chain. It's cool to see, you know, the reach that we have and uh, just learning about risk management and understanding markets in all segments of the supply chain. Well, thanks for diving into your background, Cole, and I think you'll offer a great perspective as we uh, dive into the conversation. Uh, Justin, can you give us a little more about yourself and kind of what you're up to today? Yeah, thanks for the intro, Val. Um, yeah, as Cole said, uh, we've been good buddies for, uh, you know, let's say about four years and uh, went to University of Idaho together, and I think it's just uh, really interesting how our two, two paths uh, kind of continue to cross. Uh, you know, Cole grew up in ag. Uh, I didn't. I, I had a couple of neighbors who were farmers. Uh, I graduated from University of Idaho, uh, finance degree only. Uh, but, you know, we, uh, through the Barker program, we had a partnership with the College of Agriculture and, uh, you know, it really piqued my interest and, uh, you know, got noticed by, uh, by a big food processing food processing company um, out here in the uh, North Dakota, South Dakota region. So uh, took the leap and moved out here to the Midwest. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's just really interesting, you know, when, when me and Cole reconnect and talk about the markets, I always just think about how he came up in agriculture and the dairy space and the livestock space and, and then went on to, uh, you know, go be a risk management consultant on little bit on the finance side and then uh, I came in on the finance side and then now I'm out here kind of uh, in the trenches with the farmers uh, you know merchandising grain merchandising oil seeds and uh, you know managing asset an asset for a crush plant so kind of the best of both worlds and uh, I think it works really well great well thank you both for those backgrounds um, maybe Cole can do this for the livestock and dairy side and Justin could do it for the crop grain oil seed side. Can you give us a brief overview of the agriculture market trends since the first of the year when we started with what Valley and I perceived to be highs um, and then COVID and now what's going on with what sort of looks like a recovery? Yeah, and I can jump in first and, and let uh, Justin jump in after that. But you're exactly right. We started this year very, very optimistic. Um, I'll start on the cattle side, but it's 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 pretty similar story. Um, on the cattle side, you know, we we had cattle prices that were 
or highs, you know, close to multi-year highs. They, they were doing well. We had an optimistic outlook. The cattle herd was just starting to peak. We, we saw, you know, the, the first year uh, of non-growth in the, in the U.S. cattle inventory. So people were optimistic. You know, we have good prices now. Our exports are picking up. Um, China's starting to buy protein. You know, there's, there's talk that they're going to buy even more. You know, they're starting to buy pork. Maybe, maybe beef will come next. Um, we were really optimistic. And um, similarly, on the on the dairy side, um, there was a couple supply chain incidences that that uh, you know made cheese, uh, some specific cheeses, um, pretty hard to get, pretty tight supply out there. And you know, with that, we saw uh, pretty high milk prices. We saw that twenty handle that that dairymen love to see there at the end of last year and into into the the uh, first part of this year. And again, we were pretty dang optimistic. Um, but as, as coronavirus came to be and, and set in within the United States, we saw demand of, of both uh, the, the meats as well as the dairy products um, disappear uh, almost, it seemed like almost overnight looking back at it. Um, you know, there, there's so much both beef and dairy products that are consumed at the, at restaurants. Uh, it's, 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 it's pretty startling and you know, it was, it's hard to grasp until something like, like this happens that just completely shuts off restaurants, you know, some 80 plus percent of restaurants were closed down and demand was, you know, that, that bad. Um, and so we saw, you know, from extreme highs, you know, 20 plus dollar milk down to $10 milk um, within, within a few months, you know, June, June back in April, I think the June uh, class three contract was uh, high, high 10 somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just, you know, the, the volatility is, is really hard to grasp. And, and since those lows, we've come right back up to the top, um, in, you know, in, in the milk markets, cattle markets are a little bit different story. And, uh, I'll let Justin take over here and talk a little bit about crops, but it, you know, later on, I kind of want to chat a little bit more about those, you know, the, the product differentials, you know, we're seeing it in, in, in dairy right now where the end products like cheese are, are just making absolute, you know, record highs, uh, as well as beef, you know, beef, beef prices were making record highs as well, but you know, both, both milk prices and the cattle prices are well below those still. So I'll, I'll let Justin take over from here, but I, that's, that's kind of what we've seen, you know, base level of those two markets. Yeah, we'll definitely come back to that point. That's something that we want to want to focus on for this episode, but Justin, take it away. Oh yeah, no, uh, for sure. Uh, I think, seeing how commodities have moved with uh, with the pandemic and how consumers have to adjust with cheese and dairy and, and those end products definitely affect, uh, you know, kind of the base uh, grain level side. Uh, you know, beginning of the year, um, you know, grain markets were, uh, you know, kind of running off the, on the optimism of the phase one trade deal. And then, um, you know, really, uh, you know, as, as the coronavirus cases, uh, Kind of continued to trickle into uh, Italy, um, and then eventually over to the U.S. Um, I mean, re- really, it just kind of depends on what uh, you know, what kind of grain you're looking at. Um, if, you know, if you're looking at soybeans or canola, um, you know, you're you're seeing an immediate drop, and with the expectation of lower usage in the crush. And this is because. Um, you know, to Cole's point, uh, you got restaurants closing, you got cattle yards shutting down, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, just a, just a lower demand for feed. 
and that's kind of the that's kind of the service that we do out here in uh, North Dakota, South Dakota is we we create feed for for the cattle, for for the dairies, for for the pigs, for the chickens, and so um, you know when when the first cases started hitting, uh, you know actually the first um, if you look at like a soybean meal chart, uh, you actually saw uh, a huge spike. Um, and this was in reaction to, uh, you know, uh, oil prices crashing and ethanol plants shutting down. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, uh, you know, maybe that's not something that's super prevalent in southern Idaho or maybe even Colorado. But, um, you know, when, when, you're, when you're grinding corn for ethanol, you, you, you create DEGs. When those DEGs go away, there's just something that needs to be replaced. Um, so for, for those couple of weeks of the pandemic, margins were actually up. Um, for about a week and a half, and then and then they dropped uh, straight down um, into new lows, and uh, you know we, we we've kind of been there ever since. Uh, you know the, these last uh, few days of trading have been pretty supportive. Uh, kind of Cole's comment uh, with dairy and live cattle. Uh, you know we might be staging recovery as uh, as we hear uh, maybe some of these restaurants opening up, some of these. Uh, workers going back to work and you know, people people start consuming more gasoline and the ethanol plants start opening back up again and, and DDGs start coming back into the markets. But uh, overall, uh, I would say grains in general are still uh, very consolidated and uh, very slow. Um, you mean when you say consolidated, what's that mean in, in normal people language? <laughs> oh, um, well, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, markets are slow uh right now you know uh, so with our with our company you know we we sell our meal products to you know dairymen and people who manage livestock yards well if the if the livestock yard managers don't know where the next sale is going to be to the grocery store they're not really going to be super active in booking out business for say like october november december um, same thing with restaurants, you know, uh, you know, companies like Chipotle or Kraft or, uh, you know, Frito-Lay, they, they need to buy cooking oils. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet, you know, no one's, no one's there to buy the cooking oils from Kraft. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of drag in the contracts. Uh, there's, you know, just a lot of complacency and, you know, you can kind of see in the futures markets, um, the range of movements uh, slows down because simply there's just not much business happening. So I'm, I'm fascinated because I don't know a lot on the crop side of things. You know, I watch beef and dairy at least regularly or I hear it around the office, but, you know, beef and dairy is also relatively not shelf stable. Like, we've got to move product um, relatively quickly and that affects markets. But in the like grain side of things, especially like the oil markets, is that a little more shelf stable and can we store more of it or do we have to get that product moving like we do in the beef and dairy world? Um, You know, I would say right now, uh, you know, we talk about like oil, like crude oil and, uh, you know, you remember like uh, crude oil prices recently went negative. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, how does that happen? Well, uh, you know, we, we ran out of storage. And I think you, you, could, you could probably say the same thing for, 
for veg oils right now. You know, your soybean oil, canola oil, and sunflower oil. Um, you know, these these refine. There are only so many uh, you know refinery tanks that the crush plant can hold uh, as they continue to crush, and uh, you know, slowly it, it gets it gets filled up. But uh, so there is, we we can store it, but there's eventually eventually we'll need to move. Uh, I guess one quick, go ahead, Cole. Oh, I was just gonna, I was gonna ask you a question and uh, a little bit more on the, the, the oil side, the, yeah. the veg oil side. At, at some point, I remember you and I had a conversation about, um, you know, soybean oil had a, there, there was conversations and rumors that soybean oil was about to take off. And I think that that was circulating around uh, Chinese, you know, the, the, the Chinese trade deal type stuff. And, and now it's kind of quiet. Is that, was that pretty, the, the veg oil market, did that have a chance to really take off with the Chinese trade deal? Or, you know, is, is, is that something to look out for in the markets going forward? Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't interpret China buying soybean oil as good news for, for American companies <laughs> because um, China has their own crush assets over there. That's why that's why we always talk about China buying soybeans. We buy the raw products so they can crush it over there, and then they can feed their hogs and their chickens over there. Um, we did see so you know soybean oil exports to China are pretty minimal. Uh, okay. You know usually uh, my speculation that it was my speculation that a company blew out their position and sold some oil to China, some nice. veg oil. Um, because they probably ran out of storage base here. Um, but like one question I had for you, uh, you know, just over these like past couple months, um, you know, how much have like cattlemen, dairy managers have, have had to like transition? You know, you talk about like 80% of restaurants closing, mm-hmm. um, but you know, that product has to go somewhere and, and maybe the government is taking steps to make sure, uh, you know, that dairy milk finds a home. Um, but you know so I guess how much effort is put into you know maybe changing logistics and how does that reflect in in prices yeah that's a that's a good question and Catherine and Valiant probably can answer a little bit of that Um, I mean they they had uh, the DeVries siblings on to talk about that a little bit yeah so from I'll I'll speak to dairy Val can do beef Um, on the dairy side it it was an immediate, you know, there was the initial panic buy um, where you couldn't find milk in the grocery stores, but there was still plenty of milk being produced. Um, But the real problem for dairy happened when schools, hospitals, restaurants closed, all the food service outlets, um, because that stuff is packaged um, not in a retail manner. So, you know, you're getting like five gallons of milk versus a pint of milk or something like that, that you can't really put on the grocery store shelf, um, which resulted in dairymen having to dump their fluid milk, their raw product down the drain on their dairies. Um, And so milk prices just took an absolute nosedive. I've never seen anything like it. And I really hope I never do again. Um, But uh, there has been, there's certainly been conversation in the industry about how we can, um, rework or reroute the supply chain right now um, because it's very much a just-in-time supply chain and very, very specialized. And that's, you know, that's, 
it's honestly one of American agriculture's strengths, but it's it's shown that we, we do have weaknesses as well. While there's hungry people, you know, there's food that's going to waste, which is just a damn shame in my opinion. But, um, you know, there's, there's rumblings happening in the industry right now on how to address this in the future. And the government did just announce a really big buy of at least cheese, I believe. I'm not sure. I think fluid milk as well. Um, you know, like a hundred million dollars worth of, of buy over the next few months, which, um, you know, it's, it's sort of helpful. I think it's sort of like a, a drop in the bucket, but it, you know, it moves at the pace of government, but it's attempting to be helpful. <laughs> well, and I think Cole can maybe jump in. We, you know, like we were talking today, we closed out May on like 12 buck milk. And then we're like at $17 of milk today or something. And it jumped another dollar. But Cole, is this kind of a false peak because of the, the additional money that the government's throwing out there? Or is this truly a steady recovery? And can we expect to have a record high again, like we had anticipated kicking off January? Yeah, that's a, and Catherine hit it, you know, almost perfectly. Um, so right now that that food box program that that Catherine's referring to of government purchases, we were expecting this this first tranche you, you could you know call it call it a tranche because some people are expecting more later or, or were um, we were only expecting around a hundred million dollars worth of purchases and the government surprised us on a Friday evening and said surprise we're going to buy three hundred fifty million dollars or over three hundred million dollars worth of worth of product um, and and that just you know overnight we're like holy cow you know uh grocery stores are still trying to get get uh product restaurants are beginning to open up so you know there was a, there was a case for for an already you know uh tightening supply uh, i guess you will as people started cutting back a little bit um on this on the dairy side anyways and so th these food boxes um like Catherine said mostly cheese you know there was a little bit of fluid milk i think and some butter and stuff like that um, but these companies that didn't have cheese in the first place, they put out these bids and said, look, I can, I can buy cheese for a, a dollar, you know, right now. And that's, and that's, that's great. And then we could bid it, you know, 140 or something like that. And we could get it, get it, get rid of it. Um, but these companies didn't have cheese. So they had to go out into the market and, and buy cheese, uh, pull it out of the market. There was, there was, uh, stories of companies who had no business, you know, in, in this type of food box program, like a wedding company from San Antonio, granted they're a multi-state wedding planning company, they food service company as well, but they they bought or they 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 bid into it, got the bid, and then had to supply um, supply this cheese to these food boxes, um, and and so it did really just shrink up, you know, the amount of product that was in the in the in the chain coming down. Um, and so now these, these legitimate buyers who need cheese have just bid it up, you know, exponentially. We just saw yesterday, um, on the spot cheese market each day, we have spot dairy markets on the spot cheese market yesterday, blocks hit a record high at $2 and 50, 50 cents, 50 and a half cents, I think. Um, and barrels are right there next to them today. They were up another 10 cents. So, you know, looking at that as, as a rule of thumb, it takes about 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese. So you can say, you know, at 250 uh, cheese, you know, that should be upwards, you know, close to $25 milk. And so, you know, looking at the futures market today, just under $20, you could say, you know, at some point, those two have got to have got to close. 
Um, and it, it sure seems like this, this class three or just the milk markets in general are running out of steam, even though, you know, one can make the case that we still have another $5 a hundred weight to go to the upside. Um, you know, but, but I, I think you guys are right that it does seem like it's overdone. Um, with, with cheese market where it is at some point, we think, you know, when this supply chain is going to refill, this milk is going to come back on and we're going to see a lot of product coming. So, you know, I, I, I do think for the time being the anyways, with cheese as high as it is, I, I don't think that we're at a, we're at a bubble just yet. I do think that, you know, we're overdone and $20 milk is incentivizing lots of dairies to keep producing as much as milk as possible. So, um, but until, until we see, um, a lot of sellers of products come onto the market. It, it sure seems like this market is pretty supportive right here. When Justin, I guess when this three hundred million dollars came out, or billion, I how many of us zeros came out this or last week? How did any of that get thrown to crops, or was this all pretty much milk? Um. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the specifically the $300 million. There is a program out there that's that a lot of grain guys are talking about, uh, CFAP. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure uh, what the specifics are. Uh, you know, it sounds like a bolstered up plan for uh, uh, PP and, uh, you know, almost, a, you know, a payment for the, the crop price falling um, during uh, the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I could definitely understand, uh, you know, how, you know, the, the high dairy prices could uh, continue to incentivize dairy farmers to, to keep on milking their cows and, and keep on producing. And, and, and that sounds great. Um, I guess one quick question that, do you, did, Cole, did you think that was like, a, you know, we, we talked about it like in the grain industry or with our meal buyers. Um, and kind of like with the just-in-time supply chain. So it's like, was this just-in-time buying or just-in-case buying? Hmm. For on the, on the dairy products side? For, yeah, for like your block cheese and your... Yeah. You know, no, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I'm not, not as familiar with, with it um, as, you know, as some industry is, but it, it, it seems like, just in time buying i you know okay. fr from from everything i i can see in, in the marketplace um you know it 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 happened just like that we were short and and we needed it right now right yeah so um i guess you know back to kind of like government aid and kind of how it affects grain flows um you know from i mean i guess you know from the grain buyer perspective you know you you're inherently trying to, uh, you know, uh, try to can keep consistent grain flows and, and buy it at a favorable price, um, you know. And uh, I think, but the other thing that government aid uh, kind of hinders with is the urgency of grain marketing. Um, so when you, you know, right now we just got through with like a, a planting decisions. Um, you know, corn prices were in the tank. Um, and soybean prices were favorably better. So we were kind of anticipating some, some greater soybean acres. But when, when CFAP came out um, and, you know, kind of uh, compensated farmers for, uh, you know, the price fall or 
you know, padded the padded the fall in the market. Uh, you know, it, it kind of said, well, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what I plant. You know, uh, the government is going to make me whole on whatever commodity is weaker. Usually, we talk about corn and beans, you know, and, and the crop rotations that the farmers go between. And you know, it's I'm going to stick with my rotations, and whatever comes down worst, uh, you know, the government's going to make me whole. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and so and what I see here at the local level is uh, this government support coming in, the compensation for the falling prices, and uh, it's taken a little bit of urgency out of the markets. Typically, we would start to see some grape flows come in later in the summer. Um, you know, farmers need uh, cash for operating loans. You know, they may need to, need to make a down payment for a new sprayer, a new tractor, something like that. Usually, they would sell grain um, to be able to get that cash. Now they got a now they got a check from the government um, now so they can they can sit on that crop a little bit mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's kind of a, it's kind of a pain in the butt for us um, <laughs> you know so um, you know usually to pay a little bit more and then also um, just physically if that grain is sitting in the bin all summer sun beating down on it um, the quality goes down. And so, you know, if we're crushing for meal or crushing for oil, uh, you know, the sunflowers that come in will be slightly cracked, will have some heat damage. Um, you know, canola will have heat damage as well and um, renders the crop almost unusable for crush. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I can understand that, you know, the, the psychology of it, of, you know, having that money in your hand and, not when you know you can be a little more patient with selling your grain, uh, but the conversations I have with growers a lot is checking the bin, smell it, um, you know what is the quality because you might be waiting for that extra dollar, but you know you don't want to be waiting too long to get a salad bid. Well, that that brings up a whole nother topic that you know we're going to have to cover at some point on Millennial Act. The uh, you know, government supports and subsidies and stuff um, <laughs> and getting paid in the marketplace versus the mailbox. But um, we'll bring it back to, we'll bring it back to uh, livestock, dairy, corn or grain markets for today. Um, this year has been a roller coaster for, for everybody, obviously, um, but especially for, for ag markets. And I mean, Cole answered this a little bit um, in response to the dairy markets, but for other livestock sectors and for grain and oil seeds, do you guys see this roller coaster continuing? Are we going up and down and up and down? Or you see it being supportive as, as Cole mentioned earlier? Cause I'm getting sick of the roller coaster. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take this one at the beginning. And like, like I, I think Justin, on Justin's side of it the the those markets are a little bit different like you said there's you know there's we've seen a consolidation a little bit and so it hasn't been as wild as we've seen in in especially the dairy markets and the cattle markets as well you know I I I wish we could say that it settled down for a little bit but on the dairy side it just you know it it was volatile as it went down and it's been just as volatile as it has it you know as it's coming up um, so I, I don't see any reason why this is going to stop. Um, you know, volatility comes into the market when uh, there's uncertainty and there's just still so much uncertainty in the market. 
Uh, on the livestock side, on the cattle, uh, in the cattle markets, we have seen a little bit, it, it's been quieter over the last couple of weeks anyways. Um, we've kind of, on a, on a chart pattern, we've kind of, you know, we're, we're headed sideways instead of up and down as much as we were, um, which is which is good, but there's still so much uncertainty out there. Um, you know, with, with slaughter plants coming back up, people are a little bit more optimistic that we'll get more cattle killed, but you know, coronavirus is still, there, you know, here in Southern Idaho, some of these processing plants uh, just had, you know, a huge percentage of their workers. I'm a local local slaughter plant here had had 50 of their workers catch coronavirus and had to shut down. So there, there's still uncertainty out there, and until that uncertainty ceases, until there's, you know, people are a little bit more confident in, you know, not a second wave of coronavirus coming or or these processing companies um, putting in, you know, better um, better systems for processing where workers aren't standing right next to each other, you know, whatever that may be. I still think that there's going to continue to be volatility as this uncertainty persists. And I think I've just rumblings around the office and in my life and everything is everybody's kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop at some level, whether it's the markets, whether it's whatever, there's just that uncertainty of, of when something else is going to happen. You know, the riots are happening now. Things are just so uneasy in so many levels. And it's crazy to see, see that play out in the markets ridiculously, you know, and it, it's different on different sectors, but it, it, it makes, it makes us all a little just queasy. And like you said, the uncertainty is so still there. And so, so impacting the markets. It's, it's scary. Um, yep. And, and I will add with, you know, with volatility and, you know, we've seen it on both sides and we're, we're seeing it here as well there, you know, with volatility and, um, you know, fear in the markets, it, uh, it extends farther than it should in, in both directions, you know, to the downside, we probably saw milk, uh, lower than it should have been on a cattle side, you know, 80, 83 or whatever. So I think it touched 79 at one point, you know, that's, that's arguably lower than it should have been. And it extended further um, because, you know, markets try to try to, you know, get people out and, and wash people out on both sides of it. And, you know, it's probably be, be said as the same case in the dairy markets to the upside. So with volatility comes, um, you know, extending further both directions. Um, Justin, yeah. I think this, this will be a good juxtaposition question, um, between the two of you. Um, it seems like, you know, when, when livestock dairy markets are high, grain markets are low. When grain markets are high, uh, dairy and livestock is low. Um, does a hit to one industry, um, like you have said is happening in the grain industry, um, have an impact on another industry? like the, the flip side of it, like livestock. And are we seeing that right now? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think from, from our side of the business, we are, I mean, all of our eyes are focusing on our customers right now, mm -hmm. which are the livestocks and the dairies and the chicken farms. Um, and kind of like what I said before, you know, business is slow, is slow right now. Um, until we can see, you know, these these hog plants come back online, um, you know, we can see, um, you know, people stop smashing eggs, um, you know, and, uh, and and producers stop dumping milk in their yards, um, you know, and, and 
I'd say right now, you know, we're, we're, we're hunkering down, uh, you know, so from, from where I sit, you know, we crush multiple commodities. And, and so it's a constant assessment of, uh, you know, do we, do we crush canola? Do we crush soybeans or do we just shut down? Do we take supply out of the market? And, um, you know, do we lock in a loss? Um, you know, and, and so we're constantly talking with, you know, our, our customers about, you know, when the restaurants are going to run back open um, and, uh, and when things are going to start picking back up again. So, um, you know, you, you talked about, like, is there an inverse relationship between livestock and, and grains? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tell-all answer, it depends. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I would say right now, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in the, dold, we were in the doldrums right there with, uh, with, with, you know, the hog producers and, and the livestock producers as well. You know, it, um, there's this, there's a saying, you know, when, when the farmer's doing well, everyone's doing well. So, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, business is going to pick back up and, the activity and volatility is going to come back to the grain markets as, as we recover. And so, um, you know, I guess this is a question for cold. Is this, is this a V shaped recovery <laughs> or is this, uh, I mean, so we were, we were talking about, you know, some of our big customers, uh, particularly on the chicken side, um, you know, we're thinking for chickens, it's going to be a fairly, fast transition they're going to come back online fast um i have to imagine that hogs and, and livestock are a little bit slower yeah and that's a that's a great question and something that i was going to jump in and you know i think it's a great discussion to have on on both sides of this you know your your side seeing the seeing the impacts there because you know i i'm just interested to hear your thoughts a little bit too because on, on both the dairy and the the, uh, the 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 livestock markets, you know, we'll start with the livestock markets. You know, with with guys not being able to to, to kill as many cattle as they were planning on, um, as as are ready market ready cattle. You know, we're estimated somewhere around a million head behind now of of, of slaughter ready cattle, and so they, they they can't just continue feeding those cattle the same rations to get them to you know eighteen hundred pounds. They're having to do you know, a maintenance ration, which I would assume, you know, cut, cut back on some, some of your, your meals and stuff. Um, and you know, with on, on the dairy side, it's interesting. I was having a really good conversation with a dairyman the other day. Um, the, you know, the, a lot of these co-ops and processors were, were asking, um, their, their producers to cut back, you know, five, 5%, some cases, 10%. Um, and for the most part, you know, some people, I think there, there was a, there was a little spike in, in culling of cattle. Um, but for the most part, they, they tried to keep the ration, you know, you know, just, just tweak the ration a little bit. And I think that it's going to be a little bit, a little bit delayed because, you know, you can, you can tweak the ration back, um, you know, to, to ease off production a lot easier than you can get those cows back to milking at their, you know, maximum production or, or wherever you were. So I think on, on that side of it, that demand is going to be a little bit longer, you know, long, more drawn out on the cattle side. I think it's a little bit easier to, to switch that on and off. So I think, you know, I, I do think that we have, um, 
upside potential in, in fat cattle, fat ready cattle, just because of slaughter levels and where beef still is. Um, and so I do think that, uh, you know, there is going to be some demand on the, on the meal side, just looking at it from my side. Um, have you, you know, back to my first point, have you seen, um, that, that demand wavering because, you know, people are putting maintenance rations more on, on cattle or, or, uh, you know, cutting back on the dairy side? Yeah, for a brief second there, uh, fiber was worth just as much as soy meal. <laughs> you know, uh, it was uh, you know we were we were almost crushing for soy instead of instead of protein. Oh my gosh! Uh, and, and that was uh, that was yeah because uh, a lot of the the livestock producers were were switching to a uh, to a maintenance ran ration. You know, uh, more fiber in the diet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about all I know. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah and and so uh you know and then we were we watched kind of this transition from um you know our customers sending their meats to the restaurant side of the business and then you know and then that big transition to the retail side mm-hmm. and then there was a little bit of a drag with that um you know and a little bit of a delay and then and then we shut down because mm-hmm. everybody, everybody's getting COVID, you know. I want to um, thank you both in the interest of time for coming on and spending um, an hour of your evening just talking markets with us. And this is a conversation that I want to dive into a little bit more at a later date, maybe as, as the markets either recover or we head down another downturn. We want to see where they go in the next three or four months and want to stay in contact with you all. Um, but what are maybe one parting thought from each of you, um, maybe a glimmer of hope for our producers to just just shed some light on on the situation we're in right now. Hmm. <laughs> if you, uh, you want me to go first, Cole? If you have something now, yeah, I'll, I'll keep yeah. thinking about it. So, You know, uh, I would say, um, you know, coming out of this pandemic, you know, it's 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 been tough with, with low grain prices uh, for the for the grower. Um, but but what I've seen in here in the plains and and uh, in the I states, um, I'm anticipating a great crop coming up. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, even even though with uh, low prices as 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 bad as they are right now. Um, that makes grain prices more attractive to other countries. Um, so, uh, you know, exports can start picking up. China can start making good on their baseball deal. And, um, you know, and, and the weather's nice around here. You know, it feels like summer. Um, I think that was the first thing that we said when we got on this podcast. So, um, and, uh, so, you know, heat, heat makes the corn grow. So uh, I'm optimistic for the next crop. Good. Yeah, and... Uh... Along along similar lines, um, you know, our our product, our our meat product too, is is the the best in the world. You know, our our products, both dairy and meats, are are the best in the world. And I think that you know our 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 producers are going to keep doing that. You know, similar to what Justin said, you know, it's going to be a good crop. We're going to continue to produce this this really good quality product that people are are are, are seeking out. Um, I, I think that although the, the market has been very volatile, um, you know, we're getting through these, these crazy times and 
everybody's learning more because of them. Um, you know, we're learning how to deal with the pandemic. We're learning how to uh, deal with these supply chain kinks. So yes, it's, it's volatile. Yes, it's scary right now, but you know, at, at some point this is going to help us out. It's going to make us stronger. We're going to, you know, these, these, like I said, these supply chain kinks, we're going to work through them. We're going to know how to do it more efficient. We're going to be able to get our product to our customers uh, quicker, faster, fresher, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, long-term I'm, I'm an opt, I'm an optimist. Uh, this is pretty scary to whipsaw whiplash effect, but you know, long-term we have the best product in the world and we'll continue to do that. And I think that's a great mic drop thing to end on because we do have a good product. We're agriculture. We'll get through this. Um, I want to thank both of you for coming on today and spending time with us. Um, and we thank you listeners for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Uh, find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, like our post, comment, share it with your friends. And we welcome any feedback as well. So thank you. Thank you.